0: Hey, it's Dan Hare, and welcome to Liner Notes, revealing chats with Canada's retro music makers. This is part two of my chat with Kim Burley. And if you missed part one, you can check it out at linernotes.ca. Now let's pick up the conversation. Hey, Kim, I wanted to ask you, what, what's the most successful time of your career, like when it was at its peak? You know, like the best show you ever did or the, the best experience when you really thought you were just right on the top of the wave?
1: Oh, um, we, 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 we played some really big shows uh like the the CNE the Canadian National Ex- Exposition in in Toronto we played the the grandstand there which was one of the largest venues ever that, that we yeah. had ever played. Uh because festivals weren't happening. That was the thing that came well they and they were kind of but uh but we weren't on them or whatever. Yeah. So that was a you know looking out at this wall of people um yeah. was uh you know your mouth cool. was instantly dry yeah and, uh, i'm up there with my dry mouth on drums but i fortunately sure, didn't have to sing anything and uh, and yeah. i look at ronnie and he turns around to me with like sheer terror in his eyes yeah. wow but we, for us you know get, that's you know, get the first few minutes though it's like heaven you know it's just wonderful thing. yeah you're you're, you're no
0: in, that's great so that would have been mid-70s then right uh yeah I'm seventy-three,
1: seventy-four 73 yeah. 74 in that so
0: y- I mean, that's when you had your, your most hit songs. It's funny because it, you know, I was a teenager in the, I'm a little bit younger than you. I was a teenager in the seventies, but one of the big things for me was to watch Don Kirshner's rock concert sure. on Friday. night. I think it came on Friday nights at 11 o'clock and I loved it. Yep. So I, and then I saw that you were on there. You did three songs on there. Yeah, And so I wanted to ask you about that. Where did you record that? Well, that
1: was all done in LA. That was live. You know, okay. There was yeah. a, a nice audience. It was, it was, I, I got a, a fun story about that. Um, that, uh, yeah. that show, uh, uh, I didn't, I wasn't carrying any drums with me. Right. They were supposed to show yeah. up because uh, we'd gone down specifically to do that. And the drums were supposed to be there for me. And there were no drums there, but rush oh. rush was on the same show and rush was just up and coming at the time. And we had met they were at the same hotel. We talking with these guys and getting along and, um, and I met Neil and, and, uh, and, um, you know, spent some time chatting with him. And by the way, I mean, he told me, and when I met him, he said, uh, cause his, his, his people call him Neil Peart, but basically yeah. he, he told me, my name is part like Hart. <laughs> oh, interesting. And, but, but when people just won't go for it, you, you, you go with the flow. But anyway, yeah. so I got no drums there. And he turns to me and he said, "Oh, well, you can use my drums. Like, oh, thank wow. you. Wow cool so i go he out. had a lot of drums right how many drums did he have well he had he had a big <laughs> kit even then not not like he eventually evolved into but here's the thing yeah. neil's about six feet tall yeah five six yeah. in high heels and and uh, so i walk out um to check out his kit and uh not only is there's a lot of drums there which is okay because i had a pretty big kit myself i had double kicks and all the all the yeah. a whole bunch of tom-toms all the stuff that uh that looked good and but the thing is he's got these drums anchored on plywood and you cannot oh. move them one centimeter. Right? Oh, wow. and his legs yeah. are six inches longer than mine. So, mm. uh, uh, so there I am. I did the, I did the show on this completely alien set of drums that, uh, that was set up quite <laughs> different from my own with my legs, barely touching the base. Bass.
0: Wow. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. Cause I, I watch, I, I, I would never know that watching oh. the show. Now I, I couldn't find a rerun. I tried to find a, um, a video of it online and I couldn't find one. I don't know if you know if there's one available or not. They're,
1: they're they're around. I mean, Ronnie had taped it or something when it was on television at one point yeah. years later. And, uh, yeah. and so uh, I've seen it and I was shocked at how good it was. I was really surprised it oh, played as well as I played yeah. because it yeah. was such a struggle, but I didn't yeah. sing anything and maybe I was sing some, some backgrounds or something, but I didn't sing a lead vocal on there. And, and uh, uh, But there I was with my legs all stretched out and reaching for the symbol, reaching for the... (laughs) <laughs> it's
0: funny pe- people never know that kind of stuff right And sure. you're just trying to use your adrenaline and just kind of step up so so no that was great now and the fact that you were on don Kircher's rock concert that that's a big one for me because i used to love to watch that and i was i was an aspiring guitar player and i had a band and i thought it was just the coolest thing in the world to watch uh, don kirscher's rock concert so what's the worst show you ever had well like what's the worst experience you ever had and,
1: i don't know there's there yeah. quite a few um you know like uh uh Jackson Brown says you, 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 uh, exaggerate the, you, you forget about the losses and exaggerate the wins. And that's the, uh, well, for sure. That's the name of the, that's the name of showbiz. But I mean, you, yeah. uh, we've, we've played gigs where like nobody has come and, uh, or yeah. like eight people in the auditorium or something.
0: Yeah. You know, and that's a reality in the music business too. Right. I mean, you just have to accept it. And, and, and it's, it's funny how that goes, but people think it's this big, awesome lifestyle and every gig is it you know my my old manager used to say you got to hit a home run every time and sometimes you just can't hit a home run
1: oh yeah so, you know uh, now you can you can go out, though and, uh, and and we had the philosophy that well there's eight people we're gonna we're yeah. gonna do our show and and we yeah. did and and i think all those things pay off in the long run you know you, you if you don't give yourself ever an excuse for um not giving it all you've got and that that's yeah. and we just kind of always did and we uh, you know and we still do but uh, yeah good for you to the essence of the question though i mean we're this renaissance of the stampeders it's just been growing over the uh, you know we've been back together 25 or 28 years or yeah. something. and, and um, um so we've rebuilt an entirely um different kind of career and we are yeah. we are now at a uh, a wonderful place. We play all these oh, lovely, soft seat theaters uh, all across yeah. the country, and we fill them up. And, yeah, and uh, good for you. It, no, I, it, uh, uh, you know, I'm happy to hear that. You know, it's quite satisfying, and it's our best shows are today because um, when you're doing a rock show in a in a huge venue or, or where it's strictly a rock show, there's a lot of like yelling stuff at the audience, you know, like everybody yeah. having fun, you know, all this kind, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, kind yeah. of jazz. But um, as it turns out, I mean, uh, Ronnie is a very funny person and uh but somewhat awkwardly and years and years ago, um we discovered that uh well actually it was our first concert hall gig. We actually opened it with when we had carry me, we opened for Ann Murray at Massey Hall in Toronto. Oh, nice. So the place is full. And we had never played a venue like this. We have been in bars and teen dances and stuff. And so uh, Ronnie is a, a he's compelled to entertain. That's just his nature. He is a born entertainer. So he went up to the microphone and instead of being able to say some of the, you know, just dopey things you say if you're in a bar or whatever, all these people were sitting down and actually listening. So so, uh, he started to say really stupid things. And yeah. I'm going. Oh God, what's he saying? So I started to I started to make fun of him and cut him up on the, on my microphone, and the people laughed, right? Yeah. And you know, a laugh is a laugh in Ronnie's book. Doesn't matter who's getting at him or me. Yeah, yeah. So that became yeah. kind of the the the, uh, the that kind of. Um, um, kind of a shtick that you do now. Yeah, That's persisted to this very day. And we have a wonderful time okay. on stage. I mean, probably a third of the show is made up of, uh, of kibitzing with the audience and with each other. Yeah. And,
0: um, well, I think, yeah. And people are older now too. Like the, the people that would uh, be watching the shows. It's funny because one person had mentioned during the shutdown that a lot of the Spotify uh, feed was 70s am gold which has been a comfort music to people so your music is comfort music to people that reminds them of the old days it Absolutely. reminds them when they're growing up and they and they like it and it comforts them in some way so it's oh, kind yeah. of a renaissance of the music as well because it's you know i do a k tell show and it's it's just as popular as ever people love those songs
1: yeah and uh, and what's fascinating to me is even the the, the kids like my kids when they when they were little they loved to the stamp Peter's greatest hits album yeah. kind of thing and and uh, it was old then
0: <laughs> yeah but you know what uh, what I find with young people is that they realize once they sit and listen to those songs they realize why they were hit songs there's a good reason why they were hit songs they make people feel good
1: yeah yeah and uh, you know the huge difference is, is technology but uh, the fascinating thing about uh, I think you know um, uh, uh, younger people is they don't care I mean uh, it's uh, you can get used to the like the modern sound per se which is you know very very bottom heavy very driving very precise and very mechanical and yeah. um, and uh, i think it's a real relief to hear something that's just not quite that perfect and
0: uh, no i think that's i think that's totally right you, there's lots of producers who who have produced the life right out of songs they've produced the magic right out of the songs and they would be better if they were a little bit raw or a little bit, just a bit of more mm-hmm. real so do you do you prefer to Produce your own records, or did you have a an outside producer? What is it? What's your preference? Did did Mel produce your records? Well,
1: or? yeah, Mel was the producer in the sense, but Mel was not a, a great, um, uh, you know, producing um, music. He was not a musician, and um, and uh, nor was he an arranger. But he had an ear, and he liked yeah. and he liked that. But the engineers, you know, uh, our first Sweet City Woman was engineered by Terry Brown, who went on to uh, do. Uh, I think he did Russian, he did a bunch of other people. Um, yeah. and, um, and he, he brought his skills from England he was an, yeah. an Englishman. And, um, and, uh, so those people helped and Richard, uh, was so, you know, he was right into production and, and, um, yeah. uh, right away. And so, so he was very helpful in this Ronnie and I, yeah. So sorry, go ahead. Ronnie and I were not as, as, uh, inclined to get into, you know, how does this sound, you know, I mean, right. but, but yeah. uh, as you, even back then, you know, you'd go in the studio and spend the first three hours uh, jigging with the snare drum to get the sound yeah. that you were looking yeah. for. And um, now yeah. you just turn on slate drums and pick <laughs> one. From one. I,
0: su- <laughs> I suppose, you know, it, it, it's funny. I was just curious as how much the band was involved in the process of producing the records. You know, when you watch a, a show like The Wrecking Crew or something, you know, a lot of those 60s bands, they, they weren't even one of the... If you watch that movie, yeah, I assume yeah. you have, but, but you know, when, when like one of the monkeys, they show up at the studio wanting to record and they say it's
1: all done. It's all recorded. Yeah. yeah. No, we never yeah. had any of that. We were a, a real band and we, we played on everything. Uh, and the, the, the technique was simple. We were well rehearsed. You had to be because um, we couldn't isolate a vocalist sort of thing. And um, so we would go in and without singing or anything, we would just lay down our bed tracks, our guitar bass uh. track for the cool. whole song and you would do that until you got a good one and then uh then uh add the vocals so
0: that's those songs good. were all recorded live off the floor without yeah. your vocals
1: yeah, yeah. okay yeah. Oh, cool. and um yeah. uh and that's basically how it was uh, done if you had a, a singer uh, who you could stick in a booth uh, and he could do scratch vocals and that was helpful yeah. um, you know with yeah. the cry that's how i worked i would be singing and the band would be playing and we'd we'd do it that way but right. it was nothing nothing beats um preparation and being well rehearsed and studios really expensive in those days and oh uh, yeah and um uh and so you didn't want to waste time you wanted to go in get set up and
0: yeah get, that's one thing I never liked. music down you know yeah it's but it's like you're sitting in a very expensive cab is is the analogy i use so like sitting in a cab and you're watching the meter go and it's like 10 bucks 20 bucks 30 bucks and you're thinking all the whole time you're thinking when are we going to get there because it's this is costing us a lot of money it kind of it can suck the creative process out of you if
1: you allow it to right if you allow it to and and, uh, and we didn't and uh, but yeah. neither did we uh um you know the great stories about Andrew Lugo Oldham, the producer of the early producer of the Rolling Stones, getting them all shit face drunk. Um, yeah. uh, and then, but, but we weren't that band. Right. So we were, we, we had rehearsed, uh, everybody was straight. Um, booze yeah. was just something that we weren't big on at all. And, um, yeah. um, and, uh, and so it was, it was business, you know, we went in there yeah. and, and, and it was, it was a creative business, but it was business. We wanted to yeah, get use,
0: your, use your time wisely. So I had another question about hit the road, Jack. I was curious who suggested to do that. I was wondering if you ever, if you ever meet Ray Charles, did Ray Charles know that you did that song and did you ever get to meet him?
1: No. And I doubt that he, I doubt that he knew or cared.
0: <laughs> no. Okay. Well, maybe I was wondering, cause he was still a big star at that time, right? He was still caring
1: yeah. and playing. And, uh, um, uh, that was, uh, I think it might've been Mel's or it might've been Ronnie's because Ronnie, Ronnie sang it. And it was, you know, Ronnie had the voice for it too. I mean, yeah. uh, Ronnie's got one of the really big uh, voices. Uh, yeah. it, it, when when he opens his mouth, a lot comes out. And, um, and so he had the right voice for hit the road, Jack. And then we, we, uh, uh stumbled across Wolfman Jack. I mean, um, yeah. Ronnie had befriended Wolfman at a, we went to a festival in, 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 um, oh upstate new york um anyway it was a, it was a, it was being televised it was a big um, a big song festival and uh, wolfman was uh, was the host and uh, paul williams was there and helen reddy and ray charles oh, cool. yeah. and just a big uh, number of people and we were we were there too <laughs> yeah and, uh, anyway at uh, at the airport um ronnie was going out to the um um, airport to meet, uh, his, uh, girlfriend who was coming down from Montreal. And, um, and who does he see there? Well, he's waiting for her, but Wolfman Jack and another guy, um, get okay. off and come in. And so Ronnie marches over to Wolfman and introduces himself. He says, Hey, Wolf, Wolf, I'm, uh, uh, I'm in the band that had Sweet City Woman. My name is Ronnie King from the Stampeders. And yeah. Wolfman says, Oh, hi, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
0: So what year was this? What you talking, about uh, 74.
1: Four-ish, yeah probably yeah. okay and um <laughs> and, uh, and, and then wolfman leans into him immediately oh hi stan and uh and uh, uh and he says hey you wouldn't know where i can get some shit would you <laughs> <laughs> and ronnie says well wolf i just happen to have one on me right here and i'm I'd be happy to give it to you yeah uh, i can see it now 18 with a bullet <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but uh well, that's, that's very that's funny cool. this friendship and and as it turned yeah. out Ronnie was one of the few people that uh, the whole cast of people who stayed at the uh, hotel in uh, saratoga springs that's where it was saratoga springs and and yeah. uh and uh and uh so uh, uh wolfman and ronnie developed a very warm f- friendship uh uh which began yeah. with uh, with a joint and um, yeah. And uh, and uh, Ronnie, there are many people. Uh, Mel tells the story about getting on the elevator, and uh, Jose Feliciano was there. And Jose yeah. Feliciano says, uh, "Has anybody seen Ronnie King?" <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> Ronnie, had, <laughs> yeah, of course, Jose. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's that's, funny because that's how, that's how we ran into Wolfman, and um, Ronnie yeah. and Wolfman remained friends for years. Exactly. Oh,
0: good. Well, it's funny because with Hit the Road Jack, I mean, Ray Charles was my parents' sort of generation, right? I think, I think his version came out in the early 60s, maybe 61, something like that. So, for me, being a teenager in the mid. 70s i thought well that makes perfect sense you know it was it was kind of the, the cool sort of rocker more rock version we still do it with our band too we have fun with it but uh yeah. but it's good it's good it was a it was like a, a rock version of a song that everybody liked and it was yeah. it was cool so well,
1: you know, okay that- well Give you another, another, another uh, uh, pointless fact about that song. It was the B-side of the Andrews Sisters' Rum and Coca Cola in about oh. nineteen forty-six or something. Interesting, six so maybe. But uh, and it wasn't written by Ray Charles. Right,
0: Ray. I didn't. I didn't know who wrote it. So who do you know who Percy, wrote it? A man named Percy Mayfield. Okay,
1: there you go. Not, not Curtis Mayfield, but maybe yeah. his dad. I don't know. Yeah. No, very interesting.
0: Okay, well, look, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to come back and and we'll finish off. You got another 15, 20 minutes you can give me? Man, I could go on for a day. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Kim Burley from the Stampeders. Hey, do you want to hear about new episodes before they go live? Then join the Liner Notes VIP community. You'll be able to listen to the weekly podcast before the general public. Plus, the episodes have no ads, breaks, or interruptions of any kind. You'll also hear exclusive bonus episodes and be the first to know about upcoming guests. To check out the details and become a member, go to linernotes.ca. Now let's get back to our special guest. All right, we're back talking to Kim Burley, drummer, singer for the Stampeders. Uh, Just had a few more questions. I really appreciate this and and all the insights you're sharing with us from somebody who's been around in in, in the early days of music. uh, Guys like me, I grew up in the 60s and 70s and got to listen to all this great music and I still love it today, so we really appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to ask you just a, uh, some some more personal things like who are your good friends in the music industry like people that you you know you meet people like you said with Wolf Wolfman Jack and Ronnie kind of hit it off what about you like is there people that you've met in the music business that you really clicked or maybe the best band you ever worked with or opened for or?
1: um well yeah not the uh i was i've basically been uh, a shy person and never felt like um like uh imposing myself on uh on famous people but um you know as as far as other other uh, uh canadians i mean i uh i've enjoyed the company of ian thomas for years i i'd consider yeah. him a, a friend he's a, a good yeah. guy and every time we get together it's a, a good laugh and the same with you know ronnie and rich too as yeah. far as it goes um Uh, But no, I don't have a, I don't have a wide circle of um, music uh, business. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Yeah. I always wonder about that because some people are, like you said, with Ronnie, but some people are gregarious. I mean, they'll go into a room yeah. and they, everybody's their best friend within 10 minutes because they just, I, I'm not like that myself. And it sounds like you're more reserved yeah. that way. I'm not unfriendly. I'm just not the kind of person who's going to go in and sort of get in everybody's face. And, well, there and, you've
1: just described uh, me perfectly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so who's the best band you ever worked with? Maybe you opened for them or they opened for you. Anybody leave you in awe, like where you just saw a band and just thought, I just, I just had my mind blown.
1: Yeah well you know i mean um uh we opened for santana once a nice little uh, uh theater venue right and uh, and and they were you know there was an a, an amazing an amazing band and um um they, they were they had nothing but fruit uh nothing but fruit in their in in their uh, dressing room they had
0: <laughs> so what year would that have been
1: uh I don't know 70, 75, 74. So Santana would have been one of the top bands of the world at that point. Yeah, they were big, and and uh, well, it was before the Stamp Peters made any changes. I believe. I think we were still just a trio at the time, but um, and I was I watched Kiss, and now Kiss I didn't I never uh, you know when I was young I kind of resented Kiss because I thought they were the worst band in the world, but somehow. <laughs> Very, very well known. But I'd heard about this band and we were playing in uh, somewhere in the Southern USA and the headliners were Black Oak, Arkansas. Yeah. And then Kiss was in the middle and we were opening the show. So oh, okay. uh, it's in a, in a basketball arena. Right. And, yeah. um, and so the, we played our set and then, um, you know, half hour shift over and then kiss went on stage and about, i don't know 30 minutes later it all goes silent and uh and uh we went out because i wasn't necessarily even watching them and we went out to check it out and uh they had set off a whole bunch of uh of uh yeah, explosions and pyro
0: yeah i mean back in those days these bands went and
1: you know, the fire marshal had shut the show down because it was so full of smoke they had put the audience out while this place appeared of smoke and i i oh, i am so standing back by the side of the stage and these these men come out they're these young guys and they're they're skinny and they're just pimply as hell and uh, and it was kiss <laughs> oh <huh. laughs> and they put on all that grease grease makeup and stuff and they had zits everywhere wow so, uh, yep. so that was them. But you know, over the years, believe me, I've come to appreciate the Kiss thing. Um, yeah. I, you don't. The, the, the whole idea was not that they were the greatest musicians in the world, but they had, uh, they had the they had the best idea. They 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 they, no.
0: they invented. Yeah. yeah, they found their they found their way.
1: That particular kind of yeah. uh, show rock, you know. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, no, that's a- so, yeah, never a big musical fan, but I certainly appreciated uh, what they pulled off.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, no one ever compares Kiss to Steely Dan or uh, Super Tramp. So, oh, yeah, I saw, well, yeah
1: <laughs> Steely Dan, I saw them in, in, in concert. They were uh, they, the original uh, collection of guys. That was great. Yeah. And uh, yeah.
0: Oh, good. No, I wanted to ask you about that because you know the touring and traveling aspect of it. You know, I've done some of it in my life, but I, I must say, you know, for me, I've I've never been more down in my. I'm 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 an up person because I'm a happy guy, but I've never been more depressed or down in my life than being on the road for a month or six weeks and sitting in a hotel room a thousand miles from nowhere, wondering what the heck I'm doing there. And, and did you ever have that? Do you like touring? I mean, some bands love touring, right? Like the Stones and other. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I and I was, you know, uh, one of the things about the music business that attracted me most was I would get to travel and I just wanted that so much. So uh, I still uh, kind of enjoy going to the airport and um, I don't hate the road. Um, It gets old sometimes now, but I mean, you know, I'm long in the tooth, right. And uh, then, but uh, no, I, um, and, and uh, we would go out for, uh, we do these tours uh, where we would, play i don't know like 26 days out of 30 <laughs> you know yeah you'd play yeah, yeah. 10 days in a row yeah. and you'd you'd basically uh, you know get there uh and we, we would do this on the road too generally this was like in the maritimes and we had canada chopped up into segments that we would that okay we would tour different times of the year and um and so you're basically on the road you know you fly down to the down east or out west whatever where we were based in toronto yeah and um and then uh, uh, rent cars. And yeah, and drive in
0: between. Yeah,
1: and we still do that basically. Yeah. And and um um, and it was uh God, you got to be young. It was like yeah. go there, sound check, play the gig, go back to the hotel and party and play games and yeah. be young stupid guys yeah. all night long. Go to your room at sunrise. Yeah. Sleep for four hours, <laughs> and then back. Get to up, it. get in the car, drive three hours, do another sound check. Yeah, do another show and have another party.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what's so what's the longest tour you ever did? You know, I read Shania's book and and, and even Anne Marie and stuff. I mean, her, her tour was an hour, a, a year and a half long. She said that they they went on tour for eighteen months.
1: Yeah, that that's got to that, uh, it kills you. you know, well, mm-hmm. yeah. It, but you don't actually do that night after night. There are many gaps in a tour like that. Um, but, but we uh, no nothing like that. We, I, I, I hard pressed to think that we were out for more than maybe six weeks. Yeah. Well, that's uh,
0: manageable. I, I still like to travel. I just don't like to tour. I wouldn't want to leave yeah. and go for three months or six months. I mean, Anne Murray said in her book that she would, she would take breaks in the tour to go back and do the TV specials and then go back on tour. So it was just mm-hmm. constant. And and
1: for a, a year plus so yeah and the, the bigger you get of course the more pressure is on you to do that because you're yeah. supporting a lot of people yeah absolutely and, um, yeah so it's uh we, we never got that we never got that uh yeah. bigger we weren't in we were we're not doing world tours i mean we did go We we had a you know, the European tour we, we did was like six weeks long or something. And that yeah. was, but it was small scale. It wasn't big. It wasn't uh, big arenas or anything like that. Yeah. We were just breaking out. We were trying to break out in Europe. And so yeah, it yeah. was uh, and, uh, smaller venues, you know, um, uh, but it was wonderful. And
0: you're young so, and you want to do it and you got the energy, right? You know, I think you're right exactly. about that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a couple other questions just bef- just as we wrap this up, but uh what did you sacrifice for the, for your success in music? You know, did you sacrifice anything, maybe a, a different career or, or m- maybe a did you What did you sacrifice for your success that you achieved and do you think it was worth it?
1: <laughs> the last question is uh, whether it was worth it or not is unanswerable, but yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Uh, my first marriage, you know, seeing my, my two kids from that marriage, uh, yeah. Grew up, um, yeah, I had sacrificed a lot and I've spent, uh, uh, I spent significant periods of my life uh, walking around with a tombstone on my back. And, um, and uh, so, yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, and whether it was worth it. Well, I, that's that's uh yeah that's just an intangible. I can't say
0: it is. It is what it is, right? I mean, I, the the reason I ask that is because it, it, it's it's a common story, right? It's it's not it's not your story particularly. It's it's a lot of people's story, and and I've had lots of friends that have gone through the same thing and 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 given up certain things to get other things, and then I always wonder at the end, as you look back, you know, when you're when you're past your your certain a number of decades, you look back and go, yeah, I mean, it is what it is, but
1: yeah, um, uh, my uh, philosophy now is that um, um, you know uh, guilt is uh, a worthless; um, it has no value. So, so let it go. You know, so yeah. forgive yourself and forgive everybody else who was involved, and then you can um, um, you can live in the present, which is basically what I was doing all along, but you mess it up. You miss a lot of your life by, by living in the past and the future.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And, and I've just wonder, looking back, you know, if, if you could change some things about the course of your life, the way it was handled, or maybe your managers or your bandmates, your studios, your producers. I mean, most musicians, especially have things, well, if I could go back, if I knew then what I know now I wouldn't have done this or I would have,
1: got rid of that manager earlier is, is there any of those that you could share with us oh sure i mean i think we made a big mistake not just staying a trio and riding out the highs and lows because yeah. we would have come back up again there's no doubt about it we had the chops yeah. we had the, you know we had the the writing skills and the ability to pull it off so from a business point of view had we done that um that would have been good from a personal point of view i mean our our, our main man our party man ronnie had we become a huge band, he would have probably been like Keith moon and Mm -hmm. killed himself, you know, died some kind of overdose of something. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, you know, Richard and I were, uh, far less inclined (laughs) to, to indulge than he
0: was. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, it's funny because people have, you know, what you might call a tragic flaw, right? What their best trait becomes their worst trait as well. Right. Where you're, you're fun, you're happy. Everything's great. You want to party, you want to have fun. And then of course that, has a propensity to, to get, get a little bit carried away because of the personality involved, I suppose. I've known lots of those guys over the uh, years. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. And, um, uh, yes, and it is, it's just the way you, the way you come out, you know, the way you're, the way you're born and the, uh, uh, the way that you choose to, uh, approach yeah. living and, and yeah. um, and certainly I've seen, you know, some people who are just born to they're born to party and yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And there is a price to pay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me, what what's something about you that most people wouldn't know? Like something that you're comfortable sharing? Uh, what do you do besides music? Like, do you have a hobby? Or do you have another passion? Is there something that that people wouldn't know about you?
1: Uh, I spent um, in the interim period between um, the Cry and the Stampeders, I I, uh, um, I studied uh, acting. I did lots of theater in Toronto. And, oh, nice. TV bits, and I, I, you know, I got, uh, I got very well reviewed as an actor, and um, uh, but once again, um, it's a dedication that uh, you know from a business standpoint, I was not. You got to stay in people's faces, you know. The, yeah. I had a, you know, a good agent in Toronto, but. But she said, "Well, you have to call me all the time. I can't be calling you." So, I said, well, I'm an agent. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but I have got other people calling me, and they're all bugging me for parts. So I'm, you know, if you call me, I'll send you out. And I never bothered because I, I just uh, I hated it. I, I, yeah. I don't like that uh, that particular kind of thing. So I mean, for a guy with my fundamental personality, this is not a great business to be in because you're. You're in showbiz. you got to stick your face up in front of everybody as much as you can possibly do it. And it's not a natural thing for me to do.
0: Yeah, certainly. And then the rejection of it, of course, too, right? Because it's a business based on rejection as opposed to the music business where you're being affirmed. You get up in front of an audience of a 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 people, you're being affirmed by their applause. The uh, acting business is completely the opposite because you can be yes, rejected
1: I mean, in the in the in the you know the early years when you're going to auditions and uh, and um, and being rejected time after time it takes a lot of hoots but a hang yeah in. yeah and i sure. think that's, you know i, I mean, the other thing was that basically when after a few years of doing this and doing a lot of fairly good stage work but uh, nothing that uh, nothing that would that would break me into a, a television or, or film and this is well while, while living in toronto um yeah. uh, my wife got the idea that uh, we should move out of town and move to the country. And, uh, I thought, yeah, screw it. I'm, I've had enough of this. Let's go to the country. Yeah. And I, I love the country.
0: <laughs> yeah. So is there still something you have left to do at this point in life? Do you have a bucket list? Is there, is there something you wake up in the morning and go, I still got to do that. That's one thing I haven't done yet.
1: No. Uh, because I, I'm, uh, I feel now that, uh, uh, that it doesn't matter and I, it's not, that's not a cynical or anything else. um, essentially if, if I can be, um, I want to be around to, uh, help my grandkids, you know, my kids and my grandchildren and, and be of, uh, be of help. If I can be to anyone that shows up and likes that idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, and I that, think that's a, that's a great it, philosophy.
1: It's a, it's, it, it's simple. I don't think I need, um, um, I don't value accomplishment, um, and and uh uh, you know gathering money together and all the and stuff i i I don't care that much about those things anymore but you know was a time when that was really what i thought i really wanted to do but then again it was that particular those desires that lead you uh into some of the darkest holes you will experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess that's true, and then and of course, contentment is a nice place to be. Contentment defined as being happy with what we already have doesn't mean we don't aspire to other things, but we're happy with what we have and where we're at. And it sounds like that's that's your answer to that question.
1: Well, it is, and and you know, and it simply comes to uh, uh, into your awareness at some point that if you do actually feel that way, uh, more stuff comes more easy. <laughs>
0: It's it's amazing how that works, right? That you don't you don't have to work for it as hard. You just be content and be yourself, and and things are drawn, uh, things are drawn to you. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate this. And as we wrap up, we we promised at the beginning we were going to talk about the first instrument you played before you played drums. So we have to make sure we keep our promise and let everybody know that. So you well, want to you share know,
1: that with us? I shouldn't go so far as to say I. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, when I was. Uh, Seven years old or something, and I was living in Dawson Creek, which is a small northern town. And uh, um, and and uh, it became known around town that a violin player, uh, a teacher, um, had come to town, and and he was going to give violin lessons. And uh-huh. my mother, who loved violin, said to me, "I said all of the all of us, but I was the second oldest. My older brother, i have a brother, six years older, and then I'm the first of five more that uh, that came along, right." Um, yeah and, and um uh so my mom who you know i adored she was my my young life and she's she's oh kids oh kids who wants to play the violin and, <laughs> you know she was so excited about this i didn't i didn't i had no idea what a violin was I thought it was maybe more of a trumpet or something I, I had known that particular instrument as a fiddle yeah and uh there you go but it was uh it was fascinating i went there was a music store in dawson creek which was very Odd when you think about it because it's fairly uh, out of the way place.
0: Yeah, I've been there many times. And so, so it's a, over the years. It was, this,
1: it was this almost this holy place when we went in there. It was so quiet and all these instruments on the walls. And this man brought out this little case and he opened it up and there was a fiddle. And um, yeah. I thought, oh, well, okay. My mom wants me to fiddle. <laughs> so I, uh, and he frozened up the bow for me and, uh, and um, showed me how to tune it up. And, um, and you know, sticky pegs, right? Not like, modern tuning things you yeah pull will peg up try and tune it and stick it back in before oh, that was a fine art in my opinion but anyway as it mm-hmm. turned out i went for my first lesson and this man uh sat down and uh and he ripped off the flight of the bumblebee and i thought wow that, yeah. that's great maybe i you know I'm, I'm gonna play this and then i went home and he gave us uh the chart to for mary had a Little Lamb." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I this thing under my chin which was supremely painful because i had a bony little neck and uh yeah. and uh and then i took this bow and i dragged it across the strings and it was the worst worst sound i'd heard oh, in my it's life just, I, was yeah. a, I was a kid that would cringe at it if the teacher scraped your nail on the black oh yeah. in the little bit and you know that rotten kid at the fair that would rub <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. Well, those fretless instruments can be real sour
1: too, right? Oh, so. God. And so I tried. I tried. I struggled with it. I just, you know, I drove the cat nuts. Um, yeah. Couldn't be in the house when I was. When I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mother has some cute pictures of me with uh, this thing oh. under my neck, but but I could never. Uh, I couldn't stand it. I, I went. Yeah. To yeah, yeah. Fair once enough. and, yeah. and uh, I had to give it up, but it was yeah. used as a, it was used as a trade in on my uh, first little drums that I got when I was fifteen.
0: Do you have any good violin jokes? Any good fiddle jokes? Nope. <laughs> I like to collect music musician jokes, so I have a good one. What do you, What's the difference between a violin and a trampoline? You take your shoes off before you jump on a trampoline. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but my grandpa was an old time fiddler, though, so I would never tell him that joke when he was when he was still with us.
1: Well, that's how the cat felt about it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. case and draw that bow across the strings. That cat was up oh, like yeah. he shot off a trampoline. Yeah. And- the house
0: well good no that's right well thanks for sharing that you know i've really enjoyed talking to you and, and getting some insights here and, and how forthcoming you are with all the stuff you know some people are can be quite guarded in their conversations but i appreciate you being open and uh, and just sharing with people and i'm sure lots of people will be interested in hearing what you have to say so i just want to thank you for uh, for coming on and for being part of the, the podcast here on dusty discs radio
1: well thank you dan i've enjoyed it yeah
0: thanks so much Many thanks to Kim Burley for being part of the podcast and sharing some insights from his expansive career and the life he has lived within that. You can get more information at stampeters.net. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well. You can also become a member if you would like notifications and other inside information and perks. We'd love to have you on board. We also invite you to listen to Dusty Disks Radio at uh, dustydisksradio.com Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear music from the Canadian artists you are hearing on this show. Until next time, take care.